The following opinions and ideas are that of the host and or contributors of the Eat This with Leanne podcast and are for purposes of general information and entertainment only and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts or ideas of the distributor. Broadcasting to the world from inside her closet and high above the streets of Toronto, this is Eat This with Leanne. Here's your host, registered nutritionist, Leanne Philipson. Possibly not as scary as the C word, but hearing a diagnosis of the big D or diabetes or even pre-diabetes from your doctor can send patients listening into an absolute tailspin. Diabetes can be kind of like misunderstood, especially because there are two types. Type one, which typically happens in younger years, a diagnosis comes likely when you're under 10. And type two, which was once called late onset diabetes, but they had to ditch that now because even kids of the same age that typically would get type one now can get type two diabetes. One of our lovely loyal listeners, Louise, well, she reached out via email and shared that she's 65 years old and might have type 2 diabetes. Now, that's an interesting diagnosis, might have type 2 diabetes. I'm not quite sure where she is in her process. We didn't go back and forth any much further than that. But I'd hypothesize that she's dealing with some insulin resistance, which is also called pre-pre-diabetes. Now, Louise asked if I had a podcast on managing the situation with food. And as we haven't really done a deep dive in a whole episode on this yet, well, here you go, Louise. And quite literally every other person out there, as there's new research that shows almost one in two people have insulin resistance. Maybe they've been diagnosed with what's called late onset diabetes or used to be or you know maybe you're just on your way there now staggering numbers of people across Canada because that's where we are there's 5.7 million Canadians living with a diagnosis of diabetes that's type 1 or type 2 However, there's 11.7 million Canadians living with diabetes or what I call this insulin resistance or pre-diabetes, a condition that if it's left unmanaged can really just move you right on into that type 2 diabetes situation. Now, like I said, this is where a lot of the confusion comes from because it's almost like a scale, you know, where you're trucking along at any age and it kind of sneaks up on you this insulin resistance is such a phenomenon that it's just everywhere in so many people and not until you go and have some some tests some specific tests done do you actually know where you are on that scale sadly louise you're among one of these stats that i've talked about and that i've just shared with you many people out there likely don't know that they have what's called insulin resistance or this pre-pre-diabetes. Weight management very much plays into this and the term diabesity has emerged to describe the continuum of health issues ranging from mild insulin resistance and overweight to obesity leading to diabetes. Now, quite rightly, Louise is asking the right questions of her pre-diabetes or might have diagnosis because insulin resistance, diabetes, and the inflammation that comes from this whole mess of eating a whole bunch of refined carbohydrates and maybe not quite realizing it, eating too much sugar, which doesn't really seem that much in a day, but probably is, starches, packaged foods, well, all of these are part of the big picture that we're all dealing with, including heart disease, cancer, premature aging, you know, and even death, sadly. And the biggest thing that I want to get across today is that all of this is preventable. Yes, I said preventable. That's a pretty huge statement. 
there's so much research coming out about this. So not only watch this space here on this episode with guests that we have on who love to talk about these things like Dr. Brockenshire, even uh, Dr. Nick that we had on last week in episode 133. Everyone has their finger on the pulse to do with this one because it's affecting so many of us. Now, diabetes, well, it can show up and you might think, ah, my family's had it. I'm on my way. In my genetic testing that I had done, it says that I'm genetically predisposed to diabetes. And really, it's pro- I'm probably going to steer in that trajectory if I did nothing different to, you know, your pretty typical standard diet. Now, me, myself, and maybe Louise, we both, could both be in this same bucket or anyone else out there. And I'm going to focus on doing everything that I can not to fulfill what the dnacompany.com forward slash eat this, that report told me could happen because it's a part of my mess of DNA. Now, for us women, and Louise, this is you too, especially those in the peri and and menopause stage of life, well, guess what? We have way more potential to be in this insulin-resistant situation on top of all the other factors. So, Louise, you're not alone. Today on Eat This with Leanne, let's dig into pre-pre-diabetes or insulin resistance, actual diagnosis of diabetes, what to eat, how to avoid it, and even manage it. So you being diagnosed genetically, is that pre-pre-pre-diabetes? Is that what that? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, that could be it. And interestingly enough, as I did a lot of the research for this, there are things that are going on for me that show that I do have already insulin resistance on top of the fact that I am perimenopause. Skin tags was one thing that shows up in the research. Your skin will always show you all the things that are going on the inside. You just really need to know this. Um, skin tags, what look, you know, little different markers, markers, I should say moles on the skin that are kind of like darker and a little bit flat. Those kind of things can be markers for insulin resistance. So thank you, Louise, for bringing this up because this helped me see things in myself as well, which really we need to pay attention to because we're probably all going in this direction. Those who have more potential like me with my DNA showing there's more potential for diabetes doesn't mean I'm going to end up there, but Again, knowledge is power, and that's why I talked about all of that in episode 101 and 111 to do with genetics. We're not; It doesn't dictate our future, but it gives you um, some insight, a lot of insight, actually. Is it normal for a skin tag to fall off? I have heard of skin tags completely falling off when people correct their diet and get their health in check. Oh, okay. Because I used to have one when I was young, and it was mm-hmm. in a... Um, uh, well, we uh, uh, not to mention place, but I used yep. to play with it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I went uh, there one day and it was gone. Yeah. And I was a little, a little upset because I had nothing to play with. But <laughs> oh God, I mean, the good so news is, is <laughs> the good news is, is that I, I, I had no skin tag anymore. And so I, okay. I thought, oh, it fell off. OK, no big deal. But, you know, it was sort of like, oh, is that normal? I didn't really think about it then. Yeah. But now that you just brought it up, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if, I wonder what I corrected in my diet. I must have went from Fruit Loops to Captain Crunch that week. And maybe that corrected everything for me. I don't know. But it just it wasn't there one day. So hmm, it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. People have them removed, nitrogen them off, all of those kind of things. And, you know, they can just be unsightly or you just don't like them. I know Mm. a lot of women tend to get them maybe under their arms, around where their bra strap is. They they keep popping up as you get older. So that just could be an indicator towards insulin resistance. Go off, talk to your doctor, have some testing done and and see what comes up. But specifically mention the insulin resistance because I think that's really, really important. All right. So the benefit of listening to this episode is that I might be saying and have already said to do the skin tag, something that you haven't heard from your doctor. Now, I'm not saying to to stay away from your doctor. In fact, I'm actually recommending that you go and talk to your doctor. I always recommend that. And do not take everything that I say in place of that recommendation. You need the diagnosis. You need your doctor's input. You need their recommendation. You can try all those things out. And then move on from there, really, because I I think that that is 
that's just a great way to go. You know yourself, um, your relationship with your doctor, you need to seek medical help, then please, please go ahead and do that. What I'm saying here is that there are just many ways of managing health. With diabetes and blood sugar management, or mismanagement in this case, one likely needs an overhaul of their diet. And historically, what's recommended, especially to do with diabetes, depending on who is recommending what to do about this, there's a huge change that has happened over the past years. Now, all you need to do is Google diabetes, well, which I did, but I did it on YouTube. And there are lots of doctors, MDs, PhDs that have, you know, there, are, there they are on stage doing TED Talks about how not to follow the typical recommendations of their colleagues and dietitians, if you've been in the hospital or anything like that, and what the recommendation, the typical recommendation that they're talking about is to eat somewhere between 45 and 55% of your meal as a carbohydrate in terms of like a grain, bread, flowery type products, 20 to 25% protein, and then the rest fat. That is a pretty typical recommendation for eating, you know, and what your plate looks like. Now, fast forward to 2022, which is where we are, that really has changed. And that's the piece that I think could be missing for someone like Louise, is that you get a fairly typical recommendation when you go and see a dietitian or a doctor. And that's just based on historically what the recommendations are. There is so much new and evolving research around this that when I say watch this space, I really, really do mean that. This is your health. You need to stay informed. You need to stay knowledgeable about all of this. Really, the movement towards a lot of doctors now even saying there's very little room for carbohydrates in a diabetic diet or with someone with insulin resistance has completely flipped the script on what has historically been talked about. Now, before we move on, let me quickly take a step back. And let's, before we get into the management of this, because that was Louise's biggest concern or her biggest ask, let's just explain, let me explain what is insulin resistance and diabetes exactly. And that might help you to understand how you, Louise, or anyone else got here. Now, as described on the Canadian site diabetes.ca, diabetes is a disease in which your body can, can't produce insulin or you can't properly use the insulin that it produces. Insulin is a hormone that's produced by your pancreas and its role is to regulate the, the amount of glucose or sugar that's in the blood. And all of that typically comes from your carbohydrate intake. Blood sugar must be carefully regulated to ensure that the body functions in the way that nature intended. You can't just be walking around with too much blood sugar, meaning that you actually just have all of this glucose free flowing in your veins because it can cause damage to organs, blood vessels, nerves. And then there's also the situation where maybe you on the other side have too little and then that can leave you with issues like energy, low energy, dizziness, headaches, shakes, all of those kind of things. Things. Now, we know that our bodies, they're built to find some sort of balance and insulin is there to take energy, this, this carbs, this sugar that you get when you consume a meal and insulin, really what it does is it shoves all of that energy into your cells to burn as energy. Like I said, you can't really just be walking around with this high blood sugar all day long. So this is a natural process that your, that your body does each and every day after every time that you eat. Now, if you don't burn off all that's shoved into your cells, all that energy that's in there, well, what happens? Then your body stores it as fat. It's like the save it for later. <laughs> but these days, later doesn't always come because there's another fresh meal, another snack, another food opportunity just around the corner. Now, insulin resistance or the pre-pre-diabetes is when your muscles, your fat, and your liver, they don't respond well to insulin and can't easily take up the glucose from your blood as in it's resistant, your cells 
are resistant to the effects of insulin. So that shoving in of energy, well, it's not happening. Your body, well, your pancreas uh, in this case, it ends up producing more and more insulin because the body thinks, well, if I just make more, if I just make more, then it'll get that glucose into the cells. And sometimes it can be that your cells are just not healthy enough. And they're like, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm not taking this in. But your pancreas keeps on trying because it knows what it needs to do. And presto, that can lead to what's called insulin resistance. So that looks on tests like high insulin can look like normal glucose levels. And then the body starts to get, like I said, resistant to this insulin. And then eventually it can't keep the glucose in control anymore. Maybe 10 or 20 years later, then that's when this kind of thing can show up. The glucose levels, they start to climb and it pretty much messes with everything. Also to note that high insulin levels can increase hunger. And I, I heard in one of the podcasts and research research pieces that I that I looked into for this, Dr. Mark Hyman, he called uh, he called insulin essentially a fat fertilizer. Mm. So there's so much more out there about this, and the fact that when you've got high insulin, then it just makes you more and more hungry. So getting everything into balance, understanding what's going on and affecting with diet is so powerful, but it's about getting that balance right. Now, insulin resistance, it is a huge factor in heart disease, heart attack, high cholesterol, overall inflammation, and of course, as a precursor to diabetes, and even dementia, which is now being called type 3 diabetes. There's complications from diabetes that include kidney issues, kidney failure, um, the inability to heal with your uh, sort of to do with your foot. Amputations can happen, stroke. All these things just come from this situation where you've got way too high glucose or even too high insulin. Not really a pretty picture, is it? Now, eating in a way that reduces your blood sugar also has the benefit of reducing inflammation and oxidative stress. Now, those things are what can mess up your cells from being healthy and able to take in nutrition, to take in the energy, and and for insulin to have this effect on it. Now, really, when your cells are not healthy enough, the insulin resistance, there's kind of like two sides to a coin with insulin resistance is we first of all have to have enough insulin to deal with the glucose that's in the blood, but then also the cells have to be ready to accept it. So we've got this twofold situation that that really needs to be understood. It's just not that one situation where you've got way too high insulin. Is that making sense, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You still got me. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't lost me Excellent. yet. Excellent. <laughs> I'm just being a good student and sitting quietly, letting the yes. teacher talk. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I, 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 There's no way I'm going back up to the chalkboard and writing my name 28 times over <laughs> recess. Forget that. Well, I like to check in because, you know, if it's still got your attention, then our lovely loyal listeners are likely still along for the ride. <laughs> oh, see, right? see, I'm a snorer. So if, if I've fallen asleep on you, you'll know it. Yeah. Well, we know that a lot of people listen to this on their on their drive in. Uh, we had a, a while ago, we had a, an email saying that all the teachers um, at a school, I think this was before this the summer break, they all got together and compared notes and things like that. So I love I love that. And I also know that a lot of people stick this in their ears like I do and you go for a walk. So just know I'll get on to this in a moment. But just know that while you're out for a walk, you're also helping to lower your blood sugar levels, too. So listening to this about diabetes while going for a walk, I like that's just a, it's a triple threat. It's a double threat. There we go. <laughs> All right. So let's dig into what Louise really wanted to know about, and that's about diet. There's a lot of different diets out there. We've talked about on this podcast. We've got paleo. We've got keto. We've got, uh, what else have we talked about? Mediterranean diet. Um, carnivore. Carnivore. Oh my goodness. Yes. Carnivore diet. So really the best case scenario that I want to bring up here is lowering your carbohydrates. Now, we've all heard likely of the low-carb diet, and that could look like a carnivore diet. However, that's pretty extreme. What I want to make sure that we get to talk about here is that you don't have to change anything overnight. 
there are some people that really do a hard right and they change everything and you can really you can benefit your body can bounce back from that but all too often mentally I see that people are on the wagon and then they're like, Oh my God, I just, I can't do anything that I used to like to do. I can't eat the way that I want to going out is really difficult. So no fast, fast changes here, but understanding that a low carb diet gives glycemic control, gives control to your blood sugar levels is really powerful. Increasing fat is another great way to be able to give glycemic control to your meal. And so many of us, especially in Louise's generation, who ditched all the fat back then because of the recommendation and the link to it causing heart disease, which has now been debunked, by the way, it's going to go against the grain that you probably got somewhere in there that you, because you just kind of grew up doing that kind of thing. I know my mom who probably would have been almost 80 by now. Um, you know, I can remember doing the Atkins diet, which basically meant that all she ate was some pro I think, was it protein? There was lots of protein, but I always remember her saying, oh yeah, I can eat this whole bag of jujubes, <laughs> a whole bag, Chris, I can eat these and it's not a problem. Wow. And I thought, you know, and that was way before I went to nutrition school. That was when I was in my twenties. And I thought, what kind of diet is this then when you can just eat a whole bag of jujus, mom? This is not, this is not right. When, why am I just so, hearing about this steak and candy diet? I mean, I mean, where, where has this been my whole life? Right. <laughs> so there were all sorts of things that were going on. And, you know, this whole recommendation of ditch the fat, I know that everybody out there, you know, that's where, that's why you ended up buying those low fat yogurts. You moved on to the low fat milk. And any packaged food, basically, that said low fat on it, well, that came home with you. Well, what happened there? Well, you know why all of this low fat stuff is contributed to where we are right now? Low fat foods don't taste any good. <laughs> they just don't taste. You heard it here first, folks. Big headline, up in lights, neon lights. <laughs> low fat food tastes like crap. Well, it does. It's it does. all cardboardy. It's dry. So what did they have to do? They had to add sugar to anything so that anyone would basically eat it. So when you go get that low fat yogurt next time or you pick it up and have a look at that versus the, the higher fat one, you're going to see sugar through the roof in comparison to just plain high fat yogurt, Greek yogurt, if you want to do that, and then throw in your own blueberries or a little sprinkle, you know, a little drizzle of honey or even maple syrup. You're in a far better shape than sticking to everything low fat. But I know that in Louise's generation and even, you know, to a certain extent, my generation, I'm in my 50s, maybe even yours, Chris, you're a bit younger than me, but we were just told no fat, low fat, low fat, low fat. But what happened? Then that's where all the carbs came from right? Really, really normal. So this is a, a bit of a paradigm shift for a lot of people because you think with a low carb diet, well, first of all, what on earth am I going to eat? I'm going to come on to that. But you know, that's the kind of thing that you typically do. And those high carbs, so-called healthy foods are in part what's driving this insulin resistance situation. Just to plant a little seed, I want you to overall think of yourself as a little more on the carbohydrate intolerant side. We talk about gluten intolerance, dairy intolerance. Um, you know, there's food allergies out there. People can't go and you know go and eat peanuts. Or Chris, you have some allergies too. There's certain foods that you can't eat. I'm maybe not going that far when I say this, but just thinking, yeah, I'm kind of my body's not dealing with carbohydrates in the way that it was meant to. So that's really what's kind of going on here your body just can't deal with them as it used to, maybe either years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So if you're someone who was told to increase your fiber from whole grains, so swap out the white, white rice, the white bread, the white flour, and go and have whole grains, eat your beans, eat your lentils, all of those are still carbohydrates. And that also added to this situation, especially when you're still eating that typical more diabetic type diet of 50, 45, 50, 55% carbohydrates on your plate. So we do really need to flip the script on this.
diving into eating a low or lower carbohydrate diet really can look like reducing or ditching anything that has flour, hidden sugars, or added sugars to it. Now, when you go and pick up a piece of fruit, and I know everyone right now is thinking, well, does that mean I can't eat fruit either? Well, there's no apple out there, as far as I know, that's injected with added sugars. It has its natural sugars and it has fiber in there so that it is a slower release on your body. When you take out that fiber, then you end up with apple juice. That's more what I'm talking about when I'm talking, when I say about carbohydrates, you just need to eat the apple. That's all there is to it. Now you have to become a really great label reader or better yet, just ditch any foods with labels not the easiest thing to do. So again, I go back to one step at a time, one mouthful at a time, and not just emptying your whole uh, your whole kitchen cupboards and taking out all of the packaged foods, but just start to read those labels and see. In order to know how you got here, you can look back and think, oh yeah, I've been having a lot of pasta lately. It's white pasta with not so much balance of fat and or protein going on. Hmm. Well, there's a meal that's contributing to this insulin resistance and this high blood sugar that can also accompany that. And pasta is an easy one to make small and slight changes to because there's so many options now. Yeah. So many options now. My wife has been off white pasta for years. And at first, sure, it was difficult to find uh, something that wasn't full of gluten or flour. Now it's everywhere. So there's really no excuse there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of choice. When you're moving away from your typical white flour, I do know that a lot of people would move on to something like a rice pasta, for instance, Mm -hmm. made of rice pasta. Well, a step on from that would be a quinoa pasta, which mm-hmm. still has has rice in it. So we're still talking carbs here. But then you can move on to more of the lentil and the bean pasta, which would have more fiber to it. Yep. So if you were going low carb, and I'll get on to some stats shortly or some percentages, then yes, you could still have pasta, a part of your diet, but really only sticking to that one and it not really being like every single day. That's the kind of scenario that we're talking about. So thanks so much for bringing that up, Chris, because while you might think, okay, I'll go gluten-free for a little while, that's great, but what what's being replaced, you know? So if it's still replaced with rice, well, that's still a carbohydrate. So it's a trajectory and it's a one step at a time change that you're doing. And if you just go and think, okay, I'm going to go and get that box of, of uh, lentil or bean pasta or whatever it is. And I'm just going to go and have the whole thing and make it what you normally do. No, just have a smaller amount of the pasta and way more sauce sauce that also has either grass fed beef in it or turkey or chicken and some lovely olive oil and a million vegetables. When I make pasta sauce, these, these, this kind of recipe is in my book, Sprout Right Family Food. I grate in carrots, I grate in onion, I grate in zucchini. You can grate in the ends of the broccoli if you want. You can chop up, chop up broccoli. You can get cauliflower in there. And I can't, the taste is off the charts. Whenever I make that and use it either as a lasagna base or put it on pasta, people are like, what is this? This tastes so great. I'm like, it's vegetables. They really, <laughs> really do taste good, right? Like no. It's a no-brainer. No, right? come on. They all get <laughs> in there and they still taste great. <laughs> it's not vegetables. We all know it's not vegetables, Leanne. It's chocolate chips or... Corn yeah, syrup right. or something in your, you put in, your in there. Pasta. In your pasta. <laughs> but do you remember when we talked to to Marie about chocolate? Yeah. Long time ago. Long she time said, ago, yeah. Great, great some some dark chocolate into your pasta sauce, mm-hmm. into your bolognese sauce. And she said, the depth of that is just incredible. So I would say definitely try that. No sugar, low sugar, even if you have to do that. And uh, I think that would that would really jazz it up for you. So there's all sorts of potentials and dark chocolate is a huge antioxidant. So it's also really great for all of your cells. Now, low carb for some, you might kind of think, okay, so what does low carb look like? The ultimate low carb is is keto, where you really are taking all of the potential carbohydrates out of your diet. You're focusing so much more on fat. Although research states that keto can help, it also, newer research says you don't need to go all that way to keto for success because it just doesn't work for everyone. In my case, my DNA showed that my ability to digest a lot of fat sucks. 
that would not be a good one for me. So keto, mm -mm, it's not on my list of anything to do. But in order to go low carb, then I can definitely do that by increasing some more fat and protein in my diet and just reorganizing my plate. Now, low carb can look like working towards about 20% of your intake of carbs per day. That's grains, carb-rich foods from starches, sugar, as well as anything that's in a bag that has a barcode or is in a box. And I say that because anything in a bag, barcode, or, or that has a barcode or is in a box is processed, right? We, even if it's your pasta, even if it's this great pasta that we've just talked about, it's not from the produce section or the meat section or the dairy section, right? So this is a food that has been, had some sort of process to it. Basically, all the carbs that you're thinking of, oh my God, Leanne, what are you talking about? I have to get rid of everything that's been on my plate. Well, basically, I'm not leaving you with an empty plate. You need to replace them with fruits and vegetables and lots of them. That can be leafy greens, broccoli, peppers, squash, peas, green beans, onions, garlic, the whole of the mushroom kingdom, these fungi that are out there that I talked about in episode 131 and 132. My God, you could just live on those guys and then your brain would work better. You'd sleep better. I mean, there's so much that, that you know, we uncovered you know, in those two episodes and it's just amazing. So just open yourself up to a whole bunch more mushrooms on your plate and that will just make life a lot more fun. Now, what your plate could look like is at least half with veggies or fruit. Fruit is also great in the full fruit form. Then the rest of the plate is gonna be balanced between fat and protein, maybe say a third in fat or more, or a quarter in fat and protein. And then this little sliver of about 20% of carbohydrates and that's all. Now again, you don't have to just ditch everything that you've been doing already. This is the direction that you're headed in. And if you think, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have a hard time with, with eating all of that fat. Well, some of the foods that you can start to incorporate. So your next meal that you're going to have, let's say that you add half of an avocado to it. Hey, presto, you just have more fat. Maybe you drizzle a little, little extra olive oil on top of your salad. Or if you've got cauliflower on your plate, then you put, put a little drizzle of olive oil on top of that or on top of your broccoli. Like I said, fat makes everything taste better and keeps you fuller for longer. You could do the same thing with butter. Add coconut milk for a can because there's a lot of fat in there too. You can eat nuts, you can eat seeds, you can eat, eat uh, high fat yogurt, sour cream, milk if you tolerate it, eggs. Eggs are incredible foods. Let's be specific, it's the egg yolk that is excellent. There's also fish, tuna, herring, mackerel, sardines, and salmon. At will, you can have this all over your plate. And again, in my in my book, oh my gosh, Chris, I didn't even say my award-winning book. Normally I say that. Yeah, it's weird. Award. Are you having a stroke or something? Are you feeling all right? I Maybe. know, I know. Well, I not, just, not enough fiber in your forget diet? To, forget to mention all the things, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I have the, just such a great recipe for uh, for some salmon burgers in my book. And I make those up and they, they last, they last. They do actually have a small amount of oats in them as well one of the binders, which would fall into this 20% of carbohydrate that you're going to have. So that's totally fine. Now let's talk more specifically about some meals, because I know that Louise really wants to know, like the end of the day, what am I going to put in my mouth? What is my day going to look like? Now, when I work with my clients, I always start with breakfast. When you nail breakfast, then the day just flows differently. Now, first of all, before I get to breakfast, actually, Everyone out there, if you can try as hard as you can to have 12 hours with no food, you can drink as much water, herb teas as you want, but a 12-hour fasting window, at least 12 hours, allows your body to detoxify, allows your brain to drain, get all the, that stuff out. That's the point of sleep anyway and having this break, and then you get to breakfast or break fast in the morning. So making sure that you finish, let's say, I don't know, seven o'clock in the evening, and then you start your day eating breakfast at 7 a.m. Now that's your best case scenario. If you want to try intermittent fasting, then you can definitely do that. I'm going to suggest that you search out Dr. Jason Fung, and you'll find all sorts of information on intermittent fasting. We've also done an episode on intermittent fasting on Eat This With Leanne. I can't remember the, the episode name, so just search for that as well. So in order for you to nail breakfast, any idea on what I'm going to suggest, Chris? To nail no. breakfast? 
Uh, yep. I would say, I'd say eggs. Yes. I think eggs are going to be a big one, even though a lot of folks out there, you know, would say, what, e eggs? Yeah. Well, eggs are supposed to be the, the killer, right? They're supposed to be the number the one cause machine, yeah, right? of cholesterol, high cholesterol. That's so old school. I know, it's but it's still, out, it's still out there. It's still out there. And it yep. will continue to be out there from till the till the end of days. Along with the with the eggs, which Chris is quite right about, you can do some wilted greens. That's a f tremendous way of getting some greens into, especially if you don't love them. In an omelet, yeah. wilted greens in an omelet, yep. spinach in an omelet. Oh, I, I'm not a spinach guy. I hate it, but I tell you, when it's mixed in with an omelet, yeah, it the, even that intense flavor of a of spinach, which is how I would describe it. Uh, okay. it is, it just, it's beautiful in there. A few tomatoes in there as well. Oh, 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 oh. Yes. So yes. good. And you know what else also fantastic on top of, um, on top of an omelet is salsa. Just check, yeah. for, check, yeah. for, check, check for sugar because that gets added quite a bit. So my breakfast would look like a pile of eggs. Actually, I've had this more in, um, more with my greens at lunchtime. This is something I've been doing for probably a couple of weeks now because I want to get my mushrooms in. So I have a big pile of mushrooms. I throw all the different types into my frying pan on the weekend. I do this on a Sunday. I put in butter first and then I chop up the lion's mane, uh, the shiitake, the chanterelles. What else have I had lately? Cinnamon cups, I think they call it. Um, I have had chicken of the woods. That was a new one, which actually texture was a lot like a lot like chicken. Oddly, it was a bit weird that one. But um, basically, all the mushrooms that I can get from the market, I make up just a huge container of it, all cooked because you got to cook your mushrooms always. Um, like I said, shiitakes can go in there. Your cruminis can go in there. Uh, portobellos can go in there. I got this incredible one that bled indigo from some other dude at the market. That was a lot of fun. So all of these go in and then I just have them on the side a little bit like, depending on how you like your greens, Chris, when you said you can just take a handful of them or add them to your omelet, sometimes people would like to wilt their greens first in the frying pan just with a bit of water and then put them off to the side then you get your eggs ready if you're doing an omelet whip them up throw that in and then take a handful of the mushrooms pile them on take some of this wilted spinach pile that on top of it and then hey presto you're good to go so this kind of thing is great and i've actually added this whole concoction next to my greens my fresh greens and all my sprouts and some sunflower seeds and some black garlic and then half of an avocado and that has been more my lunch these days of late so that is fantastic even you can just take an avocado and um some people just plop an egg right into where you take the stone out of and then they cook it that way it's great mashed avocado onto maybe more like a rye bread instead of your typical bread and a lot of people think okay well i'm having sourdough isn't that better for your gut and your gut microbiome well yes it is however you're still dealing with that you got to keep that in, in around about your 20 percent of your carbs so this kind of breakfast where you're having avocado, you're having eggs, it starts you off just on a, your blood sugar off on a completely different trajectory versus a bowl of cereal, a piece of toast, um, waffles, muffin. What else is out there, Chris? Like your typical carb breakfast, donut. Your typical breakfast that we're talking about here that comes in a bag, a box, or has a barcode. Now, also in my book, Sprout Right Family Food, I have a recipe for an almond flour-based pancake, which you actually bake in a large pan. It has uh, it has almond flour in it, a whole bunch of eggs, and applesauce or yogurt. Super easy, and cinnamon, which is incredible incredible for balancing your blood sugar level. Now you make that up and then you cut it into six pieces. If you're on your own, that can last you for six days. And just one slice of this, uh, it, it just it keeps you going till well after lunch. It's absolutely amazing. And basically any recipe that you come across with almond flour and or coconut flour is just, it's going to become your new BFF. If you want to bake, have muffins, cookies, or those kind of things, so when you're searching for new breakfasts, look for anything that is made with those flours. Now, lunch, that can be maybe something like what I just talked about, kind of like the breakfast kind of thing. Or it could be some soup, which you've made with meat broth. Again, another recipe in my book, Sprout Right Family Food. And if you add in coconut milk to it, and, or you could, of course, put cream because that's high in fat. But if you add coconut milk to it with a whole pile of veggies, you can do greens, ginger, turmeric, which has uh, obviously the curcumin in it, 
and that is incredible. And it's anti-inflammatory ginger, again, anti-inflammatory, really basically any soup. I'm going to make up a huge batch of, of mushroom soup and that, and I'm going to add in my coconut milk to that. So that's going to keep me going for a little while because as we're recording now, I think it was yesterday was the first day of fall. So we're getting into the cooler weather now. So that's a lot easier to do. And lunch and dinner can really be intermittent you know, switched around, you can do whatever you like, but dinner could look like some sort of fish, some meat, high protein beans like edamame with even more vegetables on the side, keep it as colorful as possible. Greens, maybe some fat rich type dressing. Um, if you like more of a satay type sauce, then you're going to add in some almond butter to that, which again is a fat and protein. So that's really, really good. That could be on, on a salad or an avocado dressing. That's incredible on top of a salad and it's again, adding in those fats, drizzle on that olive oil, like I said, and that is an incredible thing to do. If you're a snacky type person, there's all sorts of different bars out there, which typically have more nuts and seeds in them than, you know, kind of the, um, your standard granola bar. Which one was that called? Which is just all, it's super crunchy and has a whole bunch of. Like of, a granola uh, bar. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. It's in a green wrapper. Like I a nature valley, like a nature like something valley. Something like that. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 So again, a package got a barcode on it mm -hmm. and, a and a long list. So know that something like that is not really what I'm talking about. Something that has, um, has a lot more nuts in it. I can think of the kind bars. Those are a really great option. I always have some of those in my glove box, but again, just look at the different types because there's a lot of sugar. There's some sweetness in there for sure, but at least you're getting the base of the fat and the protein going on from the nuts. So that's a really great thing to move towards, like an apple with some almond butter or peanut butter. It's a great, great snack. So hopefully you're starting to get the idea of way the ways in which you need to start eating. If you're hungry and you think, oh, I'll get a cracker and then have it with my cheese. Well, how about a piece of apple with a slice of cheese? That's also a really great thing to do or a carrot stick or any kind of vegetable. Just head towards the, you know, the drawer, your produce drawer in your fridge, rather than heading towards the cabinet where you've got all of your boxes. See what you can do. And even if it's one meal or it's one snack, then that's really where you're getting a lot more, um, a lot more bang for your buck in terms of moving towards this, this low carb. Now, this is an evolution. It's not overnight. And you don't need, like I said, to ditch all of those packages of everything that's in your cupboard. You know, you've got here to where you are, Louise and everyone else with a diet that's not working. So you have to, first of all, just take take stock. Where are you at? And then work back from that over the next few weeks, the next months. Otherwise, you're just going to go and give up. And just remember that when you eat more fat, it takes away hunger. Fat gives you a lot of energy, a lot of sustainable energy and helps your brain work better, too. So it's an absolute win. Now, the other aspects along with diet, following more of a low carb diet, and also I should say that the Mediterranean type diet, that definitely is more on your low carb um, trajectory. So you don't have to go keto, you don't have to go carnivore, you don't have to go do anything crazy, but just start looking up, head back and, and see what I had to say about the Mediterranean diet as well. That would be great. Now, exercise. This is a non-negotiable. These are extra things as well as diet that everybody needs to uh, have as a part of their day. I don't like ultimatums, Leanne. Mm -hmm. You're saying this is a non-negotiable. This is it's how relationships break up when you start laying out ultimatums. You either exercise or you're getting diabetes. Right. Yeah. Or your diabetes gets worse. Right. And then, right. And then right. you end up with kidney failure and then have to have dialysis every oh, single oh, week. Are you a ball no. of sunshine today? Wow. Right. I know. I know. <sighs> Reality kind of sucks sometimes. Now, even a 30 minute walk can help. Go for a walk after dinner and it'll bring your blood sugar level down. Ideally, Vigorous, something vigorous is the key to effective exercise that helps balance your blood sugar and lower those insulin levels. Swing your arms as you walk, for instance. You may look a little bit silly, but it doesn't matter <laughs> because you're increasing the intensity. If, you know, you take your dog for a walk like mine, who stops every three steps to smell or whatever. And then I'm like, come on, I'm trying to do a power walk here. Can you please hurry up? And if I really need to go for like a super power walk, I don't 
don't even take her because she's so slow and like, okay, there's a time when that's good to do that right now is a purposeful time where I've got like 15 minutes and I'm going to do it. Anyway, it's like either keep up dog or you're staying at home. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're going to go for it, if you're going to do some sort of exercise, get your heart rate up to about 70 to 80% of its maximum capacity. So where you just are like, whoa, I just can't, I can't breathe. I can't, you know, like you're, you've hit your max where you just have to take a step back. And if you can do that for 60 minutes every single week, at least, that's great. You can track your heart rate with your watch. If you've got an aura ring or whatever gizmo gadget that you've got, tracker that you've got to see where you're at. Go ahead and pick up some weights, right? Every single time. I mean, you could take some cans that you're not eating anymore of food from, from, your, uh, from your cupboard. But just get yourself some weights as heavy as that you can handle without injury, without pulling anything. And then just keep on pushing towards more. You can look on YouTube for some sort of hit class or something that's short and intense and give that a go. Hire a trainer if you're not too sure. And they can go through a program with you and help you to get your form right so that you're not going into this and injuring yourself. There's no excuse for not exercising in some way, even if it's taking the stairs, two or three floors, you live in a condo like I do, you go down or up a few last uh, few last floors when you're coming home or going to work or something like that, it's great. And also stre- uh, exercise is an excellent stress buster. Next on the list further to exercise and food is sleep. Now, as soon as you have a crappy night's sleep, then your blood sugar is completely messed up. You'll feel that because if you don't sleep enough or you pull an all-nighter or whatever happens to happen, then you're hungry and you crave more sweet stuff. Your blood sugar is tanking and your body just knows. It just like flips this switch to say, oh, you know, yeah, go get another coffee, put a bit of sugar in it today, get the chocolate, get the donut, get the whatever, because you need that quick hit of energy because you're tired. So that's really going to send you more towards the refined, the sugary, and the packaged foods. Sleep is one of the best remedies for belly fat, insulin resistance, and helping your body to repair itself. So just go to bed. Now get a hold of your stress. That's not easy to do. You can meditate. You can brain tap. We talked about that on one of our recent episodes. You can rest. You can sleep. You can journal. You can talk to a therapist. You can look at your life on who on earth is stressing you out and what can you do to create some distance, even if it's within your own head and your own thoughts about this person. Carve out any way to mitigate the stress that just won't let up. And although it seems impossible, believe me, I live this pretty much every day, we have to find a way to get out of this stress pattern because this is contributing to the issue. Now, that could look like maybe some yoga and some breathing every single morning or even before you go to bed. In order to do that, get that yoga mat down on the floor before you go to bed. Put out your clothes your yoga clothes, your workout clothes, your running shoes or whatever, so that you almost trip over them on the way to the bathroom, on the way to the coffee pot, on the way to the glass of of, uh, lemon water, whatever it is. So that first thing in the morning, you just remember it's not a thought process. It's just an action. You get up, you put these clothes on, and then off you go. If you're stressed, your blood sugar is going to shoot up. So the key is to managing your blood sugar levels, managing your stress with all of these recommendations. It's very important. Now, supplement-wise, there's a lot of supplements that can help to support your blood sugar balance. Chromium, which is a micro mineral, is one of the, the most important ones that you need to know about. You've probably never even heard of it. Now, chromium in a small amount is in my vitamin C powder called Alka-C. There's a few others of, of note here. Now, berberine, that's actually more of a herb, more of a tincture. I've been taking this of late every single day, and I do believe it's helping me with my blood sugar balance. It's also a really great uh, digestive tonic and helps to rid your gut of, of any bad bacteria, really. So it's a really great all-around situation because, of course, your microbiome is also going to affect your overall weight balance. Your, your um, you know, obesity absolutely can come from an unbalance of gut bacteria. So berberine is a really great one. You'll find that over on SproutRight.com. You can ask me more about that. Hit me up on any of my um, um, any of my social channels under Leanne Philipson or SproutRight. I'll tell you more about that. 
curcumin, bioa curcumin, you find that on spurtbright.com as well. Cinnamon, that also has shown to do a lot for your blood sugar balance. Vitamin D, my sunshine D3 plus K2, that's a really important nutrient, as well as all of the B vitamins. Now that is something that goes into my, I'm going to call it my new and groovy drink in the morning that I shared on my on one of my social media channels, where I showed how I'm mixing everything up. My collagen goes in there, my my skin boost, I think I put in there, skin boost and kid boost is the same thing. My take this by Leanne product, my B vitamins go in there. And now I put all of my mushroom powders in there as well, which um, I'm really finding helpful for mental focus, for mental clarity and overall balanced energy. So all of that can go into a glass because that liposome B complex, which is a liquid, just squeeze that in there, stir it up and down the hatch it goes. Alpha lipoic acid, that's another nutrient which you can include for your blood sugar balance. Omega-3, everybody should be taking that anyway. If you're not eating enough fish, most people don't even eat any fish, let alone enough fish. So my Omega Boost will cover you off on that. Some very specific products from the Physica line. I do have some of these on my website. I'll add these ones so that you can see them there. Jambola is one, Pancrea Life Force and Glycopan Talks. If you're really getting into this or you're someone who knows about the physical line, those are the ones that you're looking for there. So there are many, many ways that coming at this might have diabetes situation that Louise asked about, but really everybody just needs to know how to balance your blood sugar, how to steer as far away from insulin resistance as possible because it just leads to so many issues, heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, which of course is the silent killer, cancer, like all of these things, it's all being talked about in this arena of all disease that we're coming across. So there's a lot here to unpack but thank you so much to Louise for asking those questions you know that you can do that at any time you can send me an email and ask me uh, ask me any question and we'll bring it up and do a deep dive in, into this but so again thank you Louise for instigating this com- conversation check out all the show notes over on leannephillipson.com for the lists and the things that I'm suggesting just to kind of sum everything up everything is over there and I came across this quote again from Michael Pollan who uh, really dug into a whole bunch of food issues the end of food was probably my favorite book of of his and he said eat food not too much mostly plants and I think that that's a really it just kind of sums it all up not too much and mostly plants. It just simplified pretty much everything that we've talked about today. And I think that that's a really great way to get you going and uh, and really steer you on your way. So thanks so much for being along as always. Such a pleasure to have you, my lovely loyal listeners. And thank you for spreading this far and wide, for sharing this with all, all your friends and the people that you know who need to hear it, because we definitely do. We need to influence each other in a super positive way. And of course, because we eat all day long, then uh, listening to Eat This with Leanne is just a great way to be able to, to share that information. So as always, thank you for being along and please remember to eat this one mouthful at a time.